Well, tonight uh, we are entering part two of a short series that we're going to be looking at together through the month uh, of February. Uh, And the the series is called Christians from Monday to Friday. Uh, And the basic theme of it is to look at the fact that our Christian lives uh, are not simply lived on a Sunday, but they affect us uh, throughout the whole week, uh, particularly in regard to our daily routine, whether that's work or school or studies or responsibilities at home or involvement uh, in our community and roundabout. Uh, it's a great, um, what we want to emphasize is the fact that, uh, that following Jesus uh, affects every single part of our lives and our relationship with him is relevant to every single day. Uh, Tonight, I want us to look together at what I think is a great example uh, for us in Scripture of what we're trying to look at. And uh, this example is is a married couple whom we read about in Acts chapter 18, and that's Priscilla and her husband Aquila. Let's read again at uh, Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. When you read through the New Testament, uh, very often uh, our attention is drawn to some of the big names. Uh, we think of people like Paul and Peter and Luke and John and Timothy and James, these huge figures uh, who were so prominent uh, in the spread of the gospel in these early years and in the building up of the early church. Uh, there's lots of big names uh, that we associate uh, with the New Testament, but at the same time, If you read through the New Testament, you'll see that there's actually a constant stream of what we could call ordinary people who get mentioned. A great example of that is the passage at the very end of Romans, uh, which we'll study uh, in more detail when we we reach that point in our morning series. Uh, But I'm just going to put it on the screen. This is a kind of an abridged version because uh, I'm just focusing on the names. It starts with Priscilla and Aquila. You'll see it says Prisha there. That's just a variant of the same name. Uh, Paul is writing to Rome, and he's sending greetings at the end of the letter. He says, greet Prisha and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, greet my beloved Epenetus, Mary, Andronicus, and Junia, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Stachus, Epelus, the family of Aristobulus, Herodion, the family of Narcissus, Tryphenea, that was a difficult one, and Tryphosa, Persis, Rufus, his mother, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, the brothers who are with him, Philodulus, Julia, Neris, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Now, there's something very important about that list. We've got pretty much no idea who any of them are. We know about Priscilla and Aquila, and there's one or two others that uh, are possibly mentioned elsewhere, but on the whole, these are people whom we know very little about. In other words, they were very ordinary. They're not big names, they're not key figures, but yet they were special to Paul and they were crucial to the life and work of the church. And that reminds us of a really, really important point um, about the Christian church. The Christian church is not elitist. 
At least it should never be. It's not for those who are super strong, super clever, super successful. It's the complete opposite. The church throughout the past 2,000 years has been the greatest beacon of equality and inclusion that the world has ever seen. And today, I want us to look at two of these ordinary names uh, that we read about in the New Testament, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. We read about them at the start of, uh, of Acts chapter 18. They're a married couple. Aquila is a Jew, and he was born in Pontus. Now, here's our wee test for you. Uh, here comes a map. I want you to see if you can find Pontus, okay? Can you see it? Can you see Pontus? Quick, 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 quick. Anyone's got it? Have you got it? I'm sure some of you do have it. Pontus is way up there. You all knew that, of course. There's Pontus. That's where Aquila comes from. But they had been living in Rome, way up uh, on the other side of the map. Uh, that's possibly where Priscilla was born. We don't know for sure, but that's generally... Uh, Certainly, some people suspect that that might be the case. They'd been living there, but um, as we were reading, Emperor Claudius uh, expelled the Jews from Rome. This was one of the early uh, acts of the Roman Empire that affected the Christian church. Probably happened about AD 49. Uh, just incidentally, it's mentioned by a Roman historian, Seutonius. Um, just a, a wee reminder that, that, that what the New Testament says and what the historical extra-biblical records say uh, match up. It seems to be the case that Priscilla and Aquila were part of the church, the Christian church in Rome, um, but at that point, uh, to the outsider, the Christian church just looked like it was part of the Jewish religion. They didn't really understand, outsiders didn't really understand that it was a bit different. So when the Jews got expelled, the Christians got thrown out with them, and as a result, they came to Corinth, right there in the middle. So we've got this Christian married couple uh, in the early church. How did God use these two ordinary people? And what do we learn from them when we think about our Christian lives from Monday to Friday? Well, in order to see that together, I want us just to focus on three things very briefly. Uh, we're going to look at their work, their home, and their marriage. At the start of Acts chapter 18, it's really interesting to notice that Paul came into contact with Priscilla and Aquila primarily through their work. You can see at the end, they, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And here you can see the amazing uh, providence of God as he brings things together. Priscilla and Aquila had just arrived in Rome from the east, uh, from the west, sorry, Paul had made his way across from Athens, having traveled from the east. And you see these two trajectories, one coming from the west, one coming from the east, and God brings them together in Corinth through their jobs. And in doing so, God was meeting a great need. If you imagine that you were Priscilla and Aquila arriving at Corinth, they had just been thrown out of Rome. And they were probably thinking, well, what is going to happen to this Christian church? And they may have felt disillusioned. They may have felt worried. They may have felt a great sense of concern, thinking, what's going to happen next? And they arrive at Corinth, and they employ the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. 
And likewise for Paul, meeting Priscilla and Aquila was a huge help to him. It's always interesting, whenever you read, uh, whenever you read the book of Acts, um, it's good to remember that quite often, uh, particularly in the travels of Paul, you can find out a little bit more information if you go to some of the letters. Um, so, for example, when you read about Paul arriving at Corinth, as we read at the beginning of chapter 18, if you go to the letter of the Corinthians, uh, you can find out a little bit more about what was going on. Because in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. That sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, it tells us, Paul said, I was with you, so I was with you in Corinth, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So when Paul arrived there, he was feeling very low. And it's no surprise that Paul felt low when we just trace back what happened uh, in chapter 16 and 17 of Acts. Back in chapter 16, Paul received what we call the Macedonian call, where he was at the end, edge of, the western edge of Asia Minor, and he received this call from God. Uh, let me go back. There we are. Uh, a vision appeared to him in the night. A man from Macedonia said, come over and help us. And so, that's exactly what he did. Paul was in Macedonia. Paul was in Asia Minor. He went across to Macedonia to Philippi, and there he went to preach the gospel. What happened at Philippi? He was thrown into prison with Silas. But they were released shortly, so he traveled to Thessalonica. You can see it there. He's following a path. What happened at Thessalonica? There was a riot, and Paul had to escape during the night. So Paul and Silas traveled on to Berea next, but the Jews from Thessalonica followed them there, and again they stirred up trouble and put Paul in danger. So, in order to combat this, they sent Paul off on his own to Athens. And in Athens, Paul was horrified by the idolatry that he witnessed, and he spoke to some of the prominent leaders there. And a few of them listened to him, but many were unsure, and some of them mocked him. And I just want you to imagine for a moment being Paul. Imagine getting that Macedonian call where you think to yourself, wow, this is so clear what God wants me to do. I've had this vision. God is saying, come across to Macedonia. And sometimes in our lives, we can think, wouldn't it be so great if God just made it so clear um, what we were supposed to do? And we think, well, to have a call that was so definite, uh, it would be easy, wouldn't it? Easy to follow him. And yet the reality was incredibly difficult for Paul. He follows God's call, and then it was blow after blow after blow. And by the time he got to Corinth, just there, he was dejected, weak, afraid, and trembling. But there in Corinth, God had a lovely Christian couple waiting for him. And God brings them together through their job. They were all tent makers, and they worked together. And there's two really important things there just to mention briefly. 
First, all of this reminds us what an amazing encouragement Christians can be towards each other. Paul was desperately low, and yet he meets these two people who become great friends in the fellowship of the gospel. And that's a theme that Paul emphasizes again and again in his, in his life. You see it throughout the letters. In Romans 1, he says, I long to see you. He longs to be encouraged, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Same when he talks about Timothy, he speaks about longing to see him, that he might be filled with joy. It's a really important reminder that as Christians, we need each other. We are made for fellowship. We're, we're made to be together. From the very beginning of creation, it was not good for humanity to be alone. God wants us to be together. God wants us to support, encourage, comfort, and help one another. Um, and Helen spoke about that so clearly when she mentioned city groups. That's exactly what we're trying to do, to come together in the middle of the week to help and support and encourage one another. Those of you who are with us uh, in the run-up to Christmas, we were studying the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking about all the different um, skills and attributes that God gives to His people in different ways. Um, but I hope you can remember uh, what the key reason for those gifts were. They weren't to make us look great. They're there for us to serve and help one another. A great reminder that in God's family, we need each other. So, that's a really important thing to remember when you come to church. You're not just here to grow in your own knowledge, and you're not just here to increase your own faith. You're actually here to boost each other as well. And that's why it's so brilliant that you're here. It's a fundamental truth of the Christian church that we need each other. And it all makes perfect sense. And always remember that everything that God says and does makes perfect sense. We desperately need each other. We need each other's support. We need each other's encouragement. We need each other's comfort. Um, and that's why the New Testament categorically bans criticism, jealousy, gossip, and division from the Christian church. Because all of these things are the very opposite of what we need and of what God wants for us. We're not here to tear each other down. We're here to build each other up. So, if you've had a rotten week, then please just press on, remembering that God is with you and that we are here for you. We're right behind you to support you. If you're feeling low about yourselves, we want you to know that we love you as a church. We're so thankful that you're here, and we really value you. I remember um, hearing a story about a, a, a doctor who was, um, was often... Uh, often dealing with people um, who had very low self sense of self-esteem. And he used to always say that, he used to always say that they were worth his time, that he cared for them, 
and that he thought that they were valuable. And he demonstrated that by, showing, by giving the time that he had, very little time, but he always gave his time to these people who thought they were worthless and had hugely low self-esteem. Um, anybody who feels that they're, they're, that they're worthless, um, as a church, we value you so much. And it is so brilliant that you're here and that you're part of our family here. And for those of you who have good news, we rejoice with you, and we are so encouraged by the blessings that are in your life. Um, yesterday, um, uh, two uh, of the people in our congregation, uh, Hamish and Anna, got married, uh, and the service was here, and it was a brilliant service and a brilliant occasion to see them, uh, and it's a reason for us all to rejoice as a family together. Um, whether things are going well or whether things are hard, we're being reminded from God's Word that we need each other. The church of Jesus Christ should be a place of total and constant togetherness. So we're seeing that we need each other. But the other thing that we're seeing here um, is that God can use us through our jobs. And that's something that's really encouraging for us all. The means that God used to bring a dejected, worn-out Paul into fellowship with this exiled Christian couple was making tents. It wasn't a missionary conference. Uh, it wasn't a communion weekend, as we still have in the Highlands and Islands. It wasn't a theological debate. It wasn't some massive uh, Christian event. It was a very, very ordinary job. And the point that that's highlighting for us is that our jobs are an amazing opportunity for the work of God's kingdom. In Romans 16, Paul speaks about Priscilla and Aquila, and he refers to them as his fellow workers. And I think that's a wonderful phrase, because in a way it kind of has a dub double meaning to it. Because when he talks about Priscilla and Aquila, they were his fellow workers because they were his fellow tent makers. They shared the same trade. But of course, there was more to it than that. They were also fellow workers for Jesus. And you're exactly the same as a Christian. Your job is a brilliant opportunity for you to reach out with the gospel. And your job has a double meaning as well. So you might be a teacher, a builder, an engineer, whatever you may be. But you are also a worker for Jesus. And every Sunday, God brings his church together for worship and for mutual encouragement. And then every Monday morning, he scatters us all about the city, all about the country, to be a witness and to be a servant of Jesus in our daily lives. And it's really important to remember that sometimes our jobs can feel dull and frustrating. Sometimes we can feel we don't really know what we want to do with our lives. We think there's this massive career decision and I have to try and find this one perfect career that uh, if I miss out on, I'm going to wreck my life. Uh, sometimes we can feel years down the line that I should have done something different and I've squandered my life. We can feel that the whole thing is falling apart, but if you are trusting in Jesus then all of a sudden, whether you're a lawyer or a butcher or a tent maker, all of a sudden your job has amazing potential.
And the opportunities to serve Jesus through your work are huge. You can show other people around you that you're different through your attitude and conduct. You can stand out in your workplace by being patient and encouraging towards your colleagues. If you are a boss, and there's plenty bosses in here, if you are a boss, then you can show amazing Christian concern for your staff. You can bring joy and enthusiasm to your workplace because Jesus is your Savior. You can show love towards people by taking an interest in their lives and being a support to them. And you can pray and pray and pray for people that you work with. You can plead with God for their salvation. And do you know how often you can do that kind of thing? Every day. Every single day. Your job's an amazing opportunity. And from time to time, you may even get the chance to speak to people about your faith. And these opportunities maybe don't come up very, come up very often, but you might get asked one day, why do you go to church or what is this Christianity all about? If you are ever in that situation, don't panic. Um, and don't feel you have to answer every question. It's perfectly okay to say, I don't know. Um, but a good place to start is simply by saying, knowing Jesus has made a, an amazing difference to my life. And from there, you can maybe say a little bit more about your story. Never forget, no job is pointless. Your job is mission work. So, what's this week? As we go back to work tomorrow, is it a normal week? Is it a dull week? Is it a hard week? Or is it an amazing gospel opportunity? Priscilla and Aquila served through their work. They also served through their home. Uh, and this is a fascinating uh, topic to look at. Uh, that passage in Romans 16 speaks about Priscilla and Aquila, uh, and it talks about, it says, greet also the church in their house, we see the same thing uh, in the letter to the Corinthians. It speaks about Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house. This couple used their home as a place for the church to meet. Now, we have to pause here because before, right now we're being reminded of a very important point about ecclesiology. When we say ecclesiology, we're talking about the Bible's teaching in regard to the church. And we're being reminded here that the church met in their house and the key point is that the church is not the house, the church is in the house. And the same is true today. The church is not this building. The church is the people in the building. And so if we went to another building, we would still be the church. And although we always talk about going to church and we refer to the building as the church, we would really be more accurate if we said that this is the building where the church meets, because that's really what the biblical teaching is. Um, it's very important to recognize that um, the church is God's people. The sanctuary where God the Holy Spirit dwells is in our hearts, according to the New Testament's teaching. So not only did Priscilla and Aquila use their jobs, they also used their home. 
to serve Jesus. Now here we have to just kind of catch up a wee bit on Priscilla and Aquila because they, um, they move about uh, a wee bit throughout uh, the New Testament. Uh, remember they said they started off in Rome. They were expelled under the order of the empire, emperor. So they came from Rome to Corinth uh, as we pick up the story in Acts 18. But from there, they went to Ephesus. We read about that at the end of Acts 18. And then at some point after that, they must have returned to Rome. Because when Paul, uh, writes to Eph- when Paul eventually writes to the Roman church, Priscilla and Aquila have returned there. So over a number of years, they've traveled a good bit. But in all of these places, they had a house, and they used that house for serving Jesus. It was the place where the church met. And the great lesson of all of that is that our homes are a great tool for serving Jesus. Now, we no longer have a house church structure for our Sunday services. Uh, It's an amazing blessing, the fact that our churches. Our congregations have grown too big for that. But we all still have homes, and we can all still do great things through our homes. We can welcome people and bring them into our homes. That can be for dinner, for coffee, for fellowship, for Bible study. It's brilliant to get an invite to people's houses, and and it's it's great to see that that week to week um, people uh, are being invited. It's amazing the dignity that you can give to a lonely person by inviting them to your home. And there's probably far more people than we realize who never get invited anywhere. Um, When I left school, I became a postie um, for about a year and a half. um, And uh, I did two Christmases uh, as a postie. Now, posties deserve their Christmas dinner more than anybody. Uh, Christmas is a really busy time uh, for posties. Um, and they used to say that, that in the run-up to Christmas, throughout the country, Royal Mail handles in a day at Christmas what it normally handles in a week. So there's mountains of mail, mountains of Christmas cards, mountains of uh, partials and presents, and you're delivering constantly to all of these different uh, houses. Tons of cards. Back in the day when people still sent, sent loads and loads of Christmas cards. What struck me was that there were many houses that got none. Absolutely none. And we as a church can give dignity to people in situations like that who are so lonely that they don't even get a single Christmas card. So we can welcome people into our homes. We can also make things in our homes so we can uh, contribute to church activities. Um, we can, uh, if there's, so like yesterday at uh, Hamish and Anna's wedding, uh, loads of people did baking at home and they took it here. Doesn't sound like much, but it was brilliant. Um, uh, my poor wife made a lovely tray bake and left it at home but I'm secretly delighted because now I get to eat it. (laughs) Um, We can use our homes to make stuff to help the church. Um, But today, in God's providence, you can actually reach the whole world through through your home. 
And that's one of the astonishing things that, that technology now enables us to do. You can pick up your phone, your computer, uh, and you can send a message of encouragement to a missionary anywhere in the world. Katrina's in Valencia, and she can send us prayer points so that we can pray for her. People who you know who are serving, you can, you can go home tonight and send a message of encouragement to them. You could text them right now uh, on WhatsApp or whatever and give them a message of support. It's amazing what you can do uh, through technology. And, and it doesn't actually even need to be technology. I remember uh, when I was in Carlaway, um, we had a very sudden death um, in the congregation. And it was a massive loss for us as a congregation. And it was a massive, massive loss uh, for the widow of the man who died. And I went to visit her a, a week or two later and she showed me a letter that somebody from Edinburgh had sent to her. And it was the most moving, gentle, supportive letter that I've ever read. It was only a page long, and the person who had written it had just sat at their computer and just typed it up. He wouldn't even have moved from his desk, and yet it made an amazing difference to that person. So you can do awesome stuff from your house. So you're not going to bed till, I don't know, 11 o'clock tonight. So do something awesome for the Christian church between now and then. And I suppose a key point in all of this is that um, we belong in each other's homes. And the reasons for that are theological. And I want to emphasize that the reasons for that are theological. As Christians, we are adopted as God's children. We are united to Jesus Christ by faith. Therefore, we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. We are bound together in him. We are part of one body. We are part of one family. We belong together. And that's why being in each other's homes should just be something that's very, very normal in the life of the church. Now, some of us are more sociable than others, and that is absolutely fine. And we're not saying that everybody has to be the, the extrovert who's ready to welcome everyone. Um, but please do remember just what an amazing source of potential your home is for the work of the gospel. So, Priscilla and Aquila used their work, they used their home. Uh, finally, I want us to just notice the fact that they used their marriage. One of the interesting things about Priscilla and Aquila is that they're always mentioned together. They're a married couple, and in that marriage, they worked together to serve Jesus. And this is interesting because um, if you look through the New Testament, um, there's not a huge number of examples like this of married couples working together. Even people who were married, like Peter, they're never really mentioned in connection with their wives. And Paul himself uh, placed a great emphasis on the blessings of being single. Uh, and uh, he highlights the, the value of that. And, and one is not better than the other. Um, both have blessings that, and both have challenges uh, that that they bring. But in terms of Priscilla and Aquila, they're, they're, they're a couple. They're always mentioned as a couple. But the interesting thing is that very, very, very often it's Priscilla who's named first. And it was very unusual for the wife to be named first. Um, 
And there's various suggestions as to why that's the case. Sometimes think that some people suggest that she was maybe of a higher social class than Aquila, so maybe that brought her more status. Others suggest that she was maybe the more prominent personality, so maybe, maybe she was more talkative. Um, although, I mean, for the wife to be more talkative, I don't know if that could ever be the case. Um, it could have been any of these things. Um, it could have been both. Um, but what I want to emphasize is this. Priscilla was absolutely at the heart of the early church's life. And she was a she. And it's a great reminder of how incredibly important you women are in the life of the church. People often accuse Paul of being anti-women. The truth is he was the opposite. One of his best and closest co-workers was a woman. It was Priscilla. And even though Paul taught that eldership is for men, and we would agree with that as a church, that does not mean for one second that women have a secondary role. Women played a vital role in the life of the New Testament church, and women have done so throughout the history of the church over the past 2,000 years. So even though women may not be elders, they may not be deacons, they are still co-workers. And that qualifies you women to support and help and participate in every single part of the church's work. So it wasn't just that Priscilla was Aquila's wife, and the fact that she's mentioned first is, is really important. It's not just that it was always Aquila and Priscilla's kind of just tagging along as the faithful, obedient wife. She was a co-worker in her own right, and even if she hadn't been married to him, she could still have served and done great things for the gospel. So they have this wonderful couple in their own right serving together as co-workers. They came as a team, and they served God as they could. And it appears that they've got many gifts. They had a very, very hospitable home, uh, and they seemed to be very good uh, at using that. But we're also seeing uh, in chapter 18 of Acts that there was another gift that they had. They seemed to be very good at talking to people as a couple. And there's a great example for us there that I'm just going to read, um, because I think it's very significant what this says. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak bold, boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, here we have this guy, Apollos, who's come from Alexandria, way down there, um, and he's heard about Jesus, and he knows certain things that are true, um, but he doesn't seem to have a full, complete understanding of the gospel message. Priscilla and Aquila hear him, they're listening to this man, and they're thinking, okay, he's kind of getting this, but he's also kind of getting it wrong, and what do they do? They take him aside and they explain to him the way of God more accurately. There's two vital lessons here. First of all, 
we're being reminded that accuracy is very important in the Christian church. We must always strive to make sure that we understand God's word accurately. That means we must never be blasé or casual. It means we don't make up our own opinions. We want to be scriptural and precise in every way that we can be. That's why our studies in the New City Catechism every, morning, every Sunday morning are really good because uh, resources like that and older catechisms, the Westminster Confession of Faith, things like that are so good for giving us an accurate understanding of God's Word. So it tells us that accuracy matters. But secondly, I want you to notice how they handle Apollos. So Apollos is full of enthusiasm. He's eloquent, he's fervent in spirit, but his understanding was not perfect. And so Priscilla and Aquila did two things. They went alongside him and they spoke to him and explained things. Now notice what that says. They went to him, and they spoke to him. Far too often, when somebody is wrong, we keep away from them, and we talk about them. Priscilla and Aquila did the complete opposite. They didn't mock him. They didn't rebuke him. They didn't keep away from him. They didn't criticize him. They didn't divide from him. They quietly gently took him aside and explained things to him more accurately. And that's exactly how we should be. If an individual or a group or even another congregation has inaccurate knowledge, how should we respond? Do we throw stones at them from a distance? Do we criticize them? Do we mock them? Do we say we are never going to have anything to do with them? Or do we go alongside them and try to explain what the Bible says? And notice what they said. They didn't go and explain their own opinions. They went to explain to him the way of God more accurately. In other words, they went to explain what God has said. And that's fundamental to how we help others. We don't go to people with our own opinions. We go to constantly lead people back to what God has said in his word. I'm going to give you a great quotation from, uh, from my hero, uh, William Cunningham, who was a theologian about 170 years ago, here's a great quote. Well, I think it's a great quote because I love William Cunningham. Uh, he says, In theology, there is, of course, no room for originality, properly so called, for its whole materials are contained in the actual statements of God's Word. And he is the greatest and best theologian who has most accurately apprehended the meaning of the statements of Scripture. Christianity is not our way, it's not Thomas's way, it's not St. Columbus's way, it's not the free church's way, it's God's way. We always want to be biblically minded. And Priscilla and Aquila are a wonderful example to us of what it means to disciple somebody. They go alongside Apollos and they help him to grow and to understand and we want to be the same. We want to learn from one another. So Priscilla and Aquila used their work, their home, and their marriage in God's service. It's a great reminder that all of life is to be lived for Jesus. Our whole lives are an opportunity to stand out as salt and light for him. We want to be in contact with the world, but we want to show that we are different and that there's something special in our lives. So whatever you are doing from Monday to Friday this week, do it as Priscilla and Aquila would do it. Your job, 
your family responsibilities, the school run, whatever sports you get involved in, whatever it is you're doing, do it all in a way that glorifies God and that shows that you love Jesus. But last of all, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're not trusting in Jesus, or if you're not sure where you're standing, what does all this say to you? Well, one thing it shows you is that following Jesus will take a normal life and make it an amazing life. That's something that we can often be afraid of. We think, if I'm going to start following Jesus, it's going to muck up my life. Priscilla and I will assure you that that's not true. So you might have a really ordinary job, but Jesus can do amazing things through it. You might have a very modest home, but it can be alive with the joy of the Lord. And you might be a very ordinary couple or a very ordinary person, but if you follow Jesus, you will have joy and peace and purpose for your whole life. If you look out in Edinburgh today, um, or at Scotland, or really all of modern life, um, you'll see that it's very much um, fulfilling what was described in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, the sea is not full. To the place where the stream flows, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. For many people, that's what Monday to Friday is like. Priscilla and Aquila show us that if you trust and follow Jesus, life will never be like that. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you um, for all that your word teaches us about Priscilla and Aquila. We thank you for the way in which you used them through an ordinary job and an ordinary home and as an ordinary couple. And we come before you as those with, um, with ordinary jobs, ordinary homes, and as ordinary people, those who are married, those who are single. And we pray that just as you used Priscilla and Aquila, please use us as well. Amen.